are so blessed and honored as we've just had some amazing worship here. But uh, Jake and his wife, Nikki, are, are right down here. Nikki, could you just stand up so I know some people don't know who you are, but just wave. Amazing woman of God. You think Jake's amazing, but it actually all comes from Nikki. <laughs> I got to be with Jake in Mozambique as we went to Pemba and uh, spent a week with Heidi and um, got to just know this guy at a deeper level. We, we'd already connected. We've already become friends. But, but when you spend a week with someone in another country, uh, it, it's like to a whole other level. And, uh, but what I got to experience is just... Jake's heart and his drive. The guy is crazy. Uh, I don't know how anyone can go at the pace Jake goes, but uh, for seven days, I mean, he, we were, he, well, and I was doing a little speaking. He was speaking all the time, and he was worshiping all the time, like just constantly, but amazing just insight that I see that, that in revelation that he has for the body of Christ. This guy is is uh, just anointed, not only in worship, but in the word. And uh, so without further ado, I got to get this guy up here. Can you guys stand up and give this guy a huge hand? And this woman a huge hand as well. Nikki and Jake. One other thing I just want to, we're going to have buckets in the back uh, for them as they have been on this crazy tour for the last 33 days um, called One Flesh, and uh, they've hit 20 churches in the last 33 days around the nation, and, uh, but we want to, they're going to be going home here in a few days, and we just want to bless them, uh, so anything that goes into the buckets will go to bless them. You can write your checks out to the rock, and, uh, but we definitely want to bless this family and, and what they're doing and how they're impacting the nation, nations. Uh. First of all, it was great to lead worship with Marcus again. I don't think he's in here, but I love him. And uh, Marcus was actually, yeah, you guys are so blessed to have that, that man leading worship in this house. Um, I just would love to say, just brag on Marcus. He was one of the first people when we planted our house of prayer. He had a little band called Merchant Band. And anybody remember Merchant Band? Anybody? All right. Two of us. Thank God. Um, Marcus had a band, and we invited them out to our little house of prayer. We were going to do a meeting. Nobody came to it, but Marcus came and uh, led worship for it. And uh, um, he just, like, believed in our house of prayer before we believed in it. And it was so cool to see someone who God just continues to, to use all over the planet. We just happened to, like, meet each other in other nations, usually. So, like, the last time I saw him, we were in Brazil together for all of, like, 12 hours. So it's like... You just get to see people and go, man, God's just like, you guys, it's amazing what God can do with one yes. Yeah. You know? Like, he actually doesn't need your, like, talents, your gifts, your abilities. He actually doesn't care about any of those things. He actually really cares about your yes. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you see that guy, like, it, I'll put it this way. How many of you have ever had an idea that you've seen on TV and that was your idea first, but now somebody's making money off of it? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. That shows you how much God loves your Yes. Because he gave it to you first. You didn't know what to do with it, so he gave it to somebody else. That actually is true. You can hang on to that for future reference. The truth is, is that God is looking for people who will just say yes when he's willing to move. He's ready to move. He finds somebody who's ready to move with him. And the truth is, when he can't find a Christian to do it, he'll find a non-Christian. He'll find somebody in the world who is willing to do it if the church won't. 
In fact, even worse than that, if the church won't move, he'll find and empower wicked people to do things on planet Earth so it provokes the church to do what they were supposed to do when there wasn't a wicked person in charge. How do I know that? Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, I was saying at the first service that you have to remember that the Bible never teaches you to pray somebody into office because it's God who sets kings and rulers in authority. You're just supposed to pray for them once they're there. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to pray for someone into office. Why? Because God doesn't need a Christian president to change a nation. You are actually the greatest government in all of human history. You are. Sitting in this room, you are the greatest government in all of human history, and we still think we need the world's governments to transform society. That's what's actually scary about this whole scenario. We are so freaked out about who's in office and what happening, what's happening in government that we forgot that we still worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We forget that we actually have a king that's eternal and as thrones change on the planet every week, economies fall, economies rise. I don't care if you like cryptocurrency or cash currency. It doesn't really matter on the planet earth because in heaven, he's still in charge regardless of what happens here. See, I love that because we actually don't believe that. We just like coming to church. We love that message when it works out for the Christians. How, much, how, many do you, how many of you know that God loves your enemies as much as he loves you? Think about the person you hate the most. I know you're all really Christian and you don't hate anyone. You're just really, really Christian. But think of the person you dislike the most. God actually loves them just as much as he loves you. The people you're fighting with, the people you're angry with, the people that you're bitter with, God actually radically, ridiculously loves them as much as he loves you. It's amazing because your enemies look a lot like you. And the truth is, if you look in the mirror, you probably made your own enemies. In fact, you probably decided who was your enemy before you even met them. See, Islam is not the enemy you are. Humanism has invaded the church for far too long. Humanism has invaded the church and it's made a me-centered gospel. It has given us a comfort-centered gospel. And at the end of the day, we have to remember that this thing, I've preached it here so many times, that this is not about us. This book will never be about us. So I came to give you another message today that this is not about you and it never will be about you. We're just going to focus the message on family. Because family is, at the, is actually the government by which God transforms the planet into his image. Yeah. Family is actually how he does it. You know that thing that you don't like and that you avoid? It's really awkward sometimes. Some of you gave up on. That's how God's going to transform the planet. In fact, the Great Commission will be fulfilled through family, not through radical evangelism. Because yeah. God didn't call you to evangelize the nations. He, taught you, he called you to disciple them. That's different. See, everybody wants to go and evangelize the nations, but we were never called to evangelize. We were not called to make converts. We were called to make disciples. That's what we were actually called to. So I don't care if you can pray for the stranger. How about you spend five years with somebody who doesn't like you? See, the tr we have to begin to believe that the very, the very systems we've created are actually for us, by us, and about us. They make us feel really good, but none of it is scripturally sound. 
We have a biblically illiterate generation and wonder why we're literally thrown to and fro by every doctrine that comes our way, every opinion that comes our way. Can I tell you something, church? God isn't fair. He's not fair. He's right. He didn't die and make you the fairness of Christ. He died and made you the righteousness of Christ. In fact, most of your stress, worry, anxiety, doubt, and fear could be solved if you just stop praying to make things fair in your life. Most of our intercession is us trying to get God on our team. Hey, God, get on my side, get on my side, get on my side. And then we call it intercession. God looks down and he goes, no, get on my side. But that's not right. He goes, that's right. He's not, he goes, it's not fair. It's not fair. We keep crying. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair, God. Justice is supposed to be balanced. No, justice is supposed to be right. Justice is not about fairness. It's about rightness. It's not about balancing scales. It's about eternal perspective. And we've lost, we have lost our bearings when it comes to actual justice by God's terms. Because we keep wanting to make things fair, call it intercession, call it church, call it theology. We're ripping this book apart, trying to make it about us so that at the end of the day, I can feel good in my complacency and I can yell at God to make it fair. And when he doesn't, I'm justified to be upset. And then we call that a prayer meeting. Hallelujah, praise God. I yelled at God for four hours to get on my team. He said, I'm not on your team. And I'm not on your enemy's team. I'm on my team. God's not on your team. God's not on your enemy's team. He is on his team. Because he is right. This word shows us how his perspective is right. His way of doing things is right. And instead of some fluffy gospel and some fluffy opinion or podcast, we need a biblically literate generation. So when the tide of culture strikes us, we have something to stand on. This is the only thing that's going to root you and ground you so that you don't move when every stinking doctrine gets a hold of you on Facebook and you're like, I didn't know that was true. Probably isn't. It probably isn't. It's probably opinion. We have too many voices speaking into us and we don't have enough of the word of God inside of us. So we can't differentiate truth from opinion and truth from, truth from somebody else's version. You guys, this thing is right. Why, why is it right? Why is it right? Because it proves itself right. Do you understand Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophetic words confirming themselves. That's why we got this book. I don't have time to go into the historical reality of why the Bible is the most true document on planet Earth. More true than how you got your history books. Do you understand that? This isn't an opinion. This is a fact built upon facts built upon facts. Your history book, the Odyssey and the Iliad, there are less copies of that in existence than there are of original documents of the Bible itself. This, this book confirms itself through hundreds of years, through dozens of authors. It confirms itself. It is solid ground to stand on. Stop waiting for your preacher to pass up, to your pastor to preach on it and go pick it up for yourself. Jesus didn't die so you could sit your butt here this morning. He died so that you could have access to the Father. He didn't even die for your sin to be forgiven. He died so that you could have access to the Father. But in order to have access to the Father, your sin had to be forgiven. 
Stop making it about a half truth. Because the real truth is you have access to God. And you're waiting to show up on Sunday morning. No wonder we're biblically illiterate. We only go to church 50 sometimes a year. Maybe. So maybe you'll get 50 some verses. Maybe you'll get 100 verses. This book is full of life. No wonder you're dying. No wonder your life feels awful and you don't know what to do. and You're all confused. That's because this is the center. This thing here, this is reality. I don't care what you heard on Facebook. I don't care what you heard on CNN. I don't care what you heard on Fox News. This is gospel. This is reality. Can I give you a state of the universe address? God is still on the throne. Everything's fine. I don't need your opinions. I don't need, the best part is I don't need your opinions. I don't need your approval. <laughs> That's what's so awesome about being grounded in the word and using the word as your foundation instead of your opinion or your experience. Because I actually don't need you to clap for me. <laughs> it's very nice. But do you understand I'm still going to preach this tomorrow night even if you don't clap? Because I found truth. I found truth. And the truth is that it's time for another reformation in the church. And it's going to begin with family. God's eye is on family right now. God's eyes are on family right now. And he refuses to take his eyes off of it. And I have to say this. There's two passages I want to, there's several passages I'm going to focus on. But two I want to start with. And the first one I want to start with is we have to remember that we, as in Hebrews 10, 39, we are not of those who shrink back. You and I, that's not who we are. See, we don't back down when things get hard. That's not what we do. We are those who stand firm in the faith and are not destroyed. That's what the Bible says. Guys, if you're still shrinking back from every opinion and every obstacle that comes your way, you have not met the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. Can I just give you that? If you are pushed around by every circumstance that comes your way, I would take it as far, not this church, to go, have you actually met Jesus yet? Because Jesus is not pushed around and moved by every circumstance. Do you understand that? When you radically get saved, you become a root system begins in your life that cannot be moved anymore. Oh, I'm not talking about having hard days. I'm talking about the wind hits you and you still don't move. Because Jesus Christ did not come to save you from your circumstance. He came to save you from your sin. The Jews missed Jesus because they wanted someone to save them from their circumstance and he came to save them from their sin. Therefore, he was rejected and he went to the Gentiles. Praise God. Praise God we got grafted in. Amen. But we have to remember we're doing the same thing and calling it a prayer meeting. God, save me from my circumstance. Save me from my circumstance. What if your circumstance is from God? What if you're beating against the very thing God wants to use to transform you into the very thing he created you to be? In fact, we all love the verse, behold, God's doing a new thing, except for behold, God's doing a new thing. He's not walking through the waters this time. He's actually walking through the wilderness. <laughs> this will kill your church. <laughs> but it will start a revolution. By church, I mean organization. Because there's already people walking out of the room. They didn't come to hear this. <laughs> it's actually fun to watch. So now I'm watching you, just FYI. <laughs> now it's just awkward. I'm just watching it. Because this is, this is it. This is what we signed up for. 
You signed up for war. And we showed up to play patty cake and have a nice song. I didn't like that song. Good, I wasn't singing to you. (laughs) Next time I'll ask your opinion. Oh, no, maybe I'll ask God's. Because I don't care if you like the song. That's not what's important here. Are we worshiping you or Jesus? You don't have to like it. Guess what? I won't be here next week. Praise God. For some of you, like, thank God, that guy's nuts. (laughs) I'm cool with that. But do you understand we're not talking, we're talking about personalities. We're not talking about worship anymore. Well, I didn't like it. I didn't get anything out of it. Well, you shouldn't have. You should have brought something to pour out, not an empty vessel to have him fill up. We don't celebrate Mary for coming to Jesus with an empty vessel and demanding fill me up. How stupid would that story look? Could you, you know the story I'm talking about. Mary comes in and breaks the vial at Jesus' feet and it pours out perfume at his feet and the incense, the smell fills the room. What if she, what if it's like, and then Mary entered the room with an empty jar and she demanded Jesus, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. That's what we do. We walk in and we're like, oh, it's such a hard week. Oh my God, this week has been so hard. Jesus, fill me up. You're laughing because that's like how most of you came in this week. You're like, amen, that's where I'm at. (laughs) What if we had a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of radical devotion, and we came in and we're like, I don't care what happened this week. I don't care what happened this week. I beat back hell with my life. Everything I did and said was not based around my circumstance. It was based on the truth of the word, the foundation of the gospel, and I am pushing back hell with every step I take forward. Yeah, my circumstances are hard this week, and I cried a lot. I wept, and I'm probably going to weep this morning because I actually need Jesus to touch my heart because there's parts that still aren't healed. There's things that are still unworked in my heart. I'm still angry in areas I don't want to be angry in. I'm still addicted in areas I don't want to be addicted in, but I'm radically in love, and I have not moved back. And I'm not giving in. I am not of those who shrink back and are therefore destroyed. I am one who keeps the faith and moves forward. And we are seeing a radical shift all over the planet where God doesn't use, God is not using organizations to transform the world. He's using families because family is the gospel. Family is the good news of how Jesus does government. Family is it. You know that jacked up thing that we're trying to avoid or we gave up on? That thing God is going to use to transform planet earth. And he's been working at it for years. He's been working at it for hundreds and hundreds of years to restore the body of Christ back to a family again. Because you may have the raddest business with the most amount of money and the dopest organization on planet earth. You walk out into the world, give that testimony. They look at you and go, we have the exact same thing. Didn't have to go to church on Sunday. But you show them a family that lasts 50 years and kids that actually like their parents. That they can't get with their organization and they can't buy with their money. And they'll ask, how did you do that? Because I didn't move. I, I, I pressed in 10 years of hardship to get 10, 10 generations of wealth. You are the answer to your, to your generational curses. You're the answer. You were born at the right time in the right city to the right family. You are the answer to all of your generational issues. Don't tell me how big of a problem it is. Tell me how big your God is. Tell me how big your God is. And where do we start? Because you're like, that's a lot of stuff, Jake. That's a whole lot of stuff. You just threw out there. We'd love to know step one, plan one. What's the step? Perfect. It's very, very easy. Go home! (laughs) That's really it. That's the whole story. Go home. Focus on your kids. Focus on your family. Focus on your spouse. 
Don't focus on your ministry. Don't focus on your job. Your job, you, if you are literally defined by your job title, when it's gone, you won't know who you are. You'll be lost. You'll be lost. You are not what you do. You are a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and God gave you a very real family. We're going to go home and fix this thing one family at a time. Because we were called to disciple the nations of the earth. We were called to go, therefore, and make disciples. And it begins in your home. It begins in your home. Some of you are like, you don't know. No, I'm not. I'm single. I'm single, dog. So I don't know. This is a message for me. Well, I have two great pieces of news for you. Number one, the greatest husband in all of eternity that ever did it. The perfect, most immensely amazing way. He was a single dude. His name is Jesus. Okay? So, therefore, you have no excuse. Because what happens is, most people go, oh, I don't have to do that. Here, I have great news for you. Jesus treated everyone like the beloved. Everyone was his beloved. Everyone was his bride. Because here's the difference for us. We only do that from people we can take something from. P.S. That's called prostitution. We're prostituting our sons and daughters because we haven't taught people how to love radically without getting anything in return. Nothing in return. Zero. Hey, gentlemen, young men, uh, there is a man code that has to be reinitiated into the body of Christ. We need men to step up and become men. It's not a coincidence that we are here the week before the men's ministry, men's thing that's happening next week. Alan Hood, Corey Russell, I was with Alan just a couple days ago. It's not coincidence that we're coming and then they're coming. It's not coincidence because God is reigniting a movement of men across the nation who set a standard for the body of Christ and become the gatekeepers of the church again. And the standard is this. You need to write it down, men. Three things. Number one, this is our new standard. This is the covenant we need to make with God and with each other. We will honor God. We will respect women. And we will protect children. Those are the biblical standards of a man in the body of Christ. Honor God, respect women, and protect children. Can I tell you this? At all costs. Cost of your reputation, cost of your job, cost of your livelihood. You sacrifice it all to be the man that God's called you to be. And if you don't believe it from me, why don't you get it from the Bible? Because the Bible puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. It says these words, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Here it is, act like men. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Start acting like a man. The last little phrase, and be strong. Why? Don't quit because it got hard. Oh, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you. You didn't get a nice pat on the butt afterwards. Oh, I'm so sorry. Step up and act like a man. I don't need your whining anymore. We don't need whining in the body of Christ from men anymore because they didn't get what they wanted. You don't deserve it. You want what you deserve? Go to hell. That's actually Bible too. You deserve it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've heard it here from me and from Todd. <laughs> okay? Who cares if 50 years you don't get what you want, but you birthed a family and a generational inheritance that will outlast you? Was it worth it? Heck yeah, it was worth it. You see, because what Psalm 68 says, Psalm 68 says, he says he... He puts, he gives fathers to the fatherless. Well, if there's no fathers in the body of Christ, who's going to father them? Where can God put them? And then he ends with that, that whole thought. He ends with, and he sets the lonely in families. 
Well, if all the families are busted up, broken, and there is no fathers, where is he going to set the lonely? Do you see how this becomes an issue year after year after year after year, generation after generation after generation, when men don't listen to 1 Corinthians 16? Hey, stand firm. Don't move. Act like men and be strong. It doesn't mean you can't cry. I cried through half the service last week, last, last service. This isn't about not crying. This isn't about, I like art more than I like sports. This isn't about personality. This is about you becoming unmovable and, sh- and unshakable in Christ. That's what this is about. We need more people, more men looking at other men and going, man up. I know it's hard. Let's cry. Let's cry it out. We're going to keep moving forward, though. We're not stopping, and you're not stopping, and you're not giving up on your family. Could you imagine the kind of families we had if every man in the church looked at another man and said, not happening, you're not giving up on your family. I'm sorry, you're doing what with another woman? You're going to confess it to your wife, and we're going to sort this out. We're going to walk through it even if it takes 10 years. You're not getting divorced. You're not leaving. You're not leaving. We're going to go figure it out. Oh, I know that's awful. It hurts. I know it's painful, and it's going to be totally humiliating. Awesome. We're going to get this solved. Awesome. We're going to figure this out. Why? Because we're going to show kids that through our brokenness and through our vulnerability, God can do healing, God can do miracles, and give them something better. It ain't sexy. Be strong. Don't lose faith. Act like men. Be strong. That's where it begins. Can I just tell you this entire thing begins with men acting like men? Because, see, acting like men actually gives women uh, permission to act like women. It opens up space for women to be women, as strong as they want to be. Do you understand? What happened is the feminism movement came down and men gave up. What the heck were you thinking? That wasn't an opportunity to give up. That was an opportunity to step up. Women being empowered has nothing to do with you thinking you're less. It means you better get up a few notches. Do you see what I'm saying? All of this happened in a vacuum because we weren't willing to step up. And if this seems like a harsh message, you haven't even gotten to the harsh part yet. (laughs) We haven't even gotten to the hard part where we actually stand up as men and say, no more. We honor God. We respect women and we protect children. And we're not protecting children. We're giving them over to pornography. 12-year-olds addicted to pornography because men didn't step up and define sex for them. Men didn't stand up and define what sexuality is. Nobody says anything. Men don't say anything. And we just stay silent and we do nothing. And the world eats away at our children's sexuality. And violent predators pick off our kids because nobody's standing up and saying anything. This is our job. Men and women, this is our job. Men, it is time to stand up and protect kids at all costs. I don't care if you don't have a computer in your home. Chuck it out the window today. I don't care. At all costs, our job is to protect our kids. And instead of protecting them and defining sexuality, we're sending them to the internet and saying, good luck, hope it works out. And I... Why? Why is this such a big deal? Because every time God wants to transform society, he finds himself a family, not a better organization. Why? Because kingdom is family. 
kingdom is defined as family. Most people define kingdom by like, oh, there's no, there's no sickness in heaven, so therefore a manifestation of the kingdom is healing. That might be true, but I can tell you a few other things that aren't in heaven. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. You know what is in heaven? A dad sitting next to a son who's a husband coming for a bride. And when Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on as it is where? Where's the model? That's the model. The model is in heaven. And in heaven, there's a father sitting next to a son who's a husband coming for a bride. If you don't like that version, you just go to when Jesus addresses Pilate. And Pilate, he says to Pilate, you have no authority except for what was given to you. Because my kingdom is not of this Go ahead, church, go look. We have scoured the world for a better model. We've read a thousand organizational books. Great, more power to you. But the model is not out there. It's right here. The model's not in the world. Jesus told us that. If it was, we'd stand up and fight like the world. But we don't fight like the world. We fight generationally through one family at a time. Do you want to know what this is? This is a picture of my great-great-grandma. This right here is a picture of my great-great-grandma. My dad found it this last year. It was in the newspaper. In the newspaper, he found this, and it says, happier life for, uh, for Miss Carlton, which is my grandma's maiden name, who studies the Bible. You want to know a few things that she said? Let me just give you a few. I've heard my daddy say, she says, that his father was a hard-shell Baptist preacher, that he was a primitive Baptist preacher, and that his sons would be Baptist in the hopes that one day his grandchildren would be Methodists. Do you know what he's saying? Did you hear it? That enough generations would get the word inside of them that the spirit would overflow out of them. Hey, guess what? Six generations later, six generations later, I'm here because of a hard shell Baptist preacher who prayed for his Baptist son, who prayed for his, his Baptist grandkids that one day great grandkids would manifest the spirit of God everywhere they go. Oh, you want to know something else she says? Just kind of coincidence, I guess, because who knows if it's the Lord. She explains that my head always rolls westward, and that was her sweet way of talking, saying she wishes she could have traveled. I'm sorry, I go all over the planet with my own children. I'm the answer to six generations who never gave up. My daughter is named after this woman's daughter. Geneva is named after my grandma, her great-great-grandma, great-great-great-grandma. Do you see what I'm saying? You can birth a generational inheritance right now because the model is not out there. It's in here. It's in your own home, and we're avoiding it because it's hard. I don't care about the hard, not because I don't love you, but because it's, un it's irrelevant how hard this is. It's irrelevant how hard your marriage is. It's irrelevant how hard your family is. Do you see Jesus going, oh, I'll just take the easy way out? No, he said, I'm taking the hard way. You follow me if you want to be one of my disciples. In fact, check this out. One of the only people who made it all the way to the cross was John the, John the Beloved, correct? John the Beloved was the only one who made it all the way to the cross. The only one. And Jesus looked down and said, son, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. He gave him his own family because family requires endurance to the end. He's the only one who got family because he's the only one who made it all the way to the end. Guys, let's make it all the way to the end. No, it's not going to be easy. No, it's not always going to work out in your favor. No, it's not always going to be fair, but it'll be right.
Some of you in here, you may have been divorced, remarried six times. I don't care. I'm not here to pick on your past. I'm here to help you determine your future. I'm not worried about how many people you've slept with before here because sex actually is how you get married. So bad news is once you have sex, that's the person you're actually married to. Nobody told you that, did they? They just said, wait till marriage. But sex is how you make covenant. Sex is not a part of marriage. It is how you get married. You don't make covenant when you walk down the aisle. That's the accountability. You don't make covenant when you sign the piece of paper. That's so the government can tax you properly. The covenant part is blood. It's through the man and the woman's body connecting through sex. So that covenant is made. See, we aren't teaching our kids that. We're teaching them, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And then they open the Bible, get to Genesis 2, and it says have sex and have it a lot. <laughs> and they're like, um, it says be fruitful and multiply, which I think requires sex if I'm not confused. And you told me never to have it. See, we're teaching people how to be safe when we should be teaching them how to be the most dangerous people on the planet. The most dangerous people on the planet are the ones who are informed properly. <laughs> it's for lack of knowledge that people perish. And we're not saying anything, and the enemy is devouring them one at a time. So I don't care if you've been divorced. I don't care about that. I'm not giving you permission to divorce because it's not an option. Now, that's not the standard of this church. I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, prove it to me otherwise. Because who's our model? Who's our model? Okay, when does he leave you and forsake you? Okay, now name one person on the planet Earth who is too far gone for the blood of Jesus. Name one person. Is there anybody on planet Earth who is too far gone that Jesus' blood cannot redeem and save them? Is there? That includes your spouse. Everybody loves Todd White's story, except for they never want to remember the part of his testimony where he says to his, to his wife, Jackie, if you leave me, I'll shoot you, and I'll kill both of our children, and then I'll take my own life. And we're like, yeah, Todd, praise God, Todd, praise God. <laughs> yeah, praise God. How do I go lay hands on people? <laughs> lay hands on me. Okay. You want his story? Let him lay hands on you. You want Heidi Baker's story? Let her lay hands on you. You want, Heidi you want Heidi Baker's story? Buy a one-way ticket to a country you've never been to. Stay there until something breaks out. Well, I just kind of wanted miracles. Of course you did. We all want the easy road. We all want the Todd White that runs around and lays hands on the sick. But in order to get the Todd White who lays hands on the sick, a wife has to stay by him through being... See, what if you gave up on your Todd White before he became Todd White in your story? See, we all love the promise. We just hate the process we have to go through. What if you just gave up? You're like, oh, well, they probably have a promise on their life, but I'm sick and tired of waiting. What if Jesus did that? Well, you know, you do have a promise and a calling, but I'm just kind of tired of waiting. You're taking way too long, and it's too hard. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm, and can I just tell you this? I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Can I just be really honest with you? I'm not a great husband all the time. I'm pretty crappy father half the time because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. But I know it's right. And I can't base my theology on what I'm good and not good at. I'm so sorry. I can't base my theology on my imperfections. Do you understand how horrible that is to base our theology off the fact that I just get a few things wrong? Because then I never have to be humble. I just change my theology. 
I'm not good at this stuff, you guys. I suck at it most of the time. But I get better every day. Like a little teeny bit. Like a little bit. I'm farther along today than I was yesterday. And I just, I want us to commit as a church to family. Not because it's the easy thing. Because it's the right thing. Men, start acting like it. Start acting like it. That's where this starts. I don't have time to go into womanhood and all the things. But you're not messed up and your story isn't over. Can I just tell you, happy endings are all dependent on when you close the book. Just don't close the book. We're going to pray for your marriages right now. And if your sexuality has just gone out of control, you're addicted to porn, you don't even know how to get out of these cycles, I'm going to pray radically that God visits you, delivers you, and sets you free. The age that most kids are getting addicted to pornography at this point is 12 years old. They're getting introduced to sex by the time they're five or six. So my next question is, have you talked to your children or has the world talked to them first? And, has, and, and is the only reason you haven't talked to them because it's embarrassing or because it's hurt you and you don't want to talk about something that's hurt you because you're afraid it'll hurt them. No, the way we're hurting them is saying nothing. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. Talk to your kids. Talk. I don't care how old they are. Talk to them. As awkward as it is. <laughs> hey, guys, we're having the sex talk today. It's awkward for all of us involved. <laughs> but let's talk. So, Lord, I pray right now. If you're married in this room, will you just stand up right where you are? I'm going to have my wife pray, and then I'll pray. Nikki, will you come in? We're going to pray for your marriages. And then those of you that are single, those of you that have had sex, we're going to pray for purity over you. And we're going to pray that you recognize that today is a brand new day. You guys, there's way too much to cover in 45 minutes. But we can set a stake in the ground. Make sure some, we declare a few things boldly without fear. And we take a stand and say enough is enough. And I believe that this is one of the churches God is picking. You guys, I'm so sorry. That's awful. Sorry. <laughs> but he's picking you. He's saying, you can do it, Rock. You can do it. You can do this. You can do this. Stick in. Stick in for kids and great-grandkids you will never see. Stick in. Stick in for children who will see your family that don't have a family of their own, and they'll want to be adopted. They'll want to be in your home. They'll want to spend time with you. Stick in it, because it's worth it. God, we just lift up the marriages in this room right now. Father, we ask that walls would be torn down today. Brick by brick, Lord, that you would take away offense, that you would take away hurt and pain, that we may see our spouse through your eyes. God, we ask that you would give us a vision, a vision for our great-grandchildren that births hope inside that the best is yet to come. And God, I ask right now 
that you allow us to see our spouse through your eyes. We could take down the lenses of the wounds that come from bumping into each other in marriage and see them through your eyes, recognizing that you have given us a divine, beautiful kingdom opportunity to love this person in a way that no one else walking the planet can. What an honor. Would we feel the weight of that beauty to love another human being the way no other man can? or woman. You've chosen us. You've chosen us to lay down our lives first for the one that we are one with. You've chosen us to do that for them. We want to look like you, Jesus. You laid down your life for us. And now we get to lay down our life for the one who you've made us one with. Help us to do it with humility. Help us to do it with meekness. Holy Spirit, you are our helper. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now because it is only through your, your power that we can do that. We have no power in ourselves we're just selfish little balls of dirt. But you come and you make us new creations. You give us the ability to lay down and sacrifice for another. And let us do it first with our spouse. Thank you, God, for this church for the marriages that are represented here. We ask for a hedge of protection around them. We declare this as a church that has a zero divorce rate in it as of this day forward. Today is the day. No more covenants will be broken. We want to know you, and you are a covenant God. And it starts here with our marriages. Let us show you, God, that we do covenant well. We are a trustworthy people, that you can pour your spirit out on here. You can be revealed here, God. We are covenant people in this room. And I ask also that you would just come and strike us with intercession for marriage. Those of us in the room who are and aren't married, that everyone in this room would be struck with intercession, a desire and a passion to intercede over marriages, not just our own, but our, our, the, our, if we're not married, the, mar the marriages that we will walk into and the marriages in this city of Castle Rock. That family would be strong here. We would be known as a city in Colorado with strong families. You want to get your marriage right? You want to have a strong family? You come to Castle Rock. Mark us. Let a stake be planted deep into the ground today, Father. That we stand for family at all costs. Be not for anything that we get out of it, but for what we get to give. 
we want to give something back. Thank you, God. Lord, we pray for wherever there's hardness of heart that you'd soften it right now. We pray for Ezekiel, Jesus. We pray for that word to come forth that you would take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. God, I pray for every marriage that's in divorce right now where there's not been remarriage, that God, you would heal it, redeem it, restore it right now in Jesus' name. We pray for radical testimonies of husbands and wives that are split up right now where you radically meet them, you radically touch them, restore families, restore marriage, restore children to fathers and mothers. We say full redemption right now. You gave us the ministry of reconciliation and we ask for complete and total reconciliation and restoration right now. And for those that are standing and even they're in a broken marriage and they're living literally going, they're going, I don't want it to work out. I pray you touch those ones first. <laughs> Hit those ones first because it's not about their faith. It's about yours and watch the testimonies that give birth, God. We, God, we ask for every broken, jacked up story to be a testimony of your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and your kindness because you are faithful even when we're not. You are faithful even in where we're not. Where there's been unfaithfulness, God, would you rebuild trust right now? Where there's been adultery, where there's been cheating, where there's been addiction, where there's been pornography, God, we ask there'd be radical, redemptive moments over the next couple weeks. God, where you would literally break addictions off of families, break addictions off couples, and you would restore trust. Begin the restoration of trust right now in Jesus' name. One little inch by inch by inch by inch by inch, we wouldn't give up. We'd press in for full restoration of covenant. And God, we pray for everybody that's single in this room that God, you would, God, stir a hunger in them to love as you loved, that they would love everyone they come in contact with as the beloved of Christ. We ask God that you would, that they would become radical lovers, not for what they get out of it, not for the testimony, not for a date, not for something that they can gain, but literally because people are worth loving. We're not looking for them to pray a prayer. We're looking them for them to meet a man. We don't care about them praying a prayer. We're not looking for headhunters anymore. We're not going to like literally walk around and we're not going to scalp people so that we have a testimony when we come back to church. We're going to love people for years and years on end and we're going to see nations discipled because we started in our homes first. God, start here. Start today. And I believe even we just prophesy that Ash Wednesday is going to be the craziest day of the church's year because Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day kiss this year. And it's going to be a sign to the world that the church is redeeming love. In Jesus' name, amen.